foundations of the world. You, you've seen us in your foreknowledge. You knew that we would come to you and you've made us accepted in the beloved. We just thank you for your goodness and your love and that you would you would accept you would accept me. Maybe these other people are better but <laughs> I wasn't too good. And you just called me out and we are so thankful and we love you back Lord and and we love you by doing what you're saying and, and, be, and obeying and doing your commandments. And, we praise you and thank you and thank you for your Holy Spirit that's here. We thank you for your, your uh, uh, Lord Jesus for your for being with us here and and every day wherever we are. We we just look to you and honor you and put you first in our lives in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. All right. Okay. We're good. Okay. <laughs> I've been studying Noah's faith. I was a little flooded with information. Okay. Hebrews. Hebrews. I'm expecting you to break out in somewhere over the rainbow. Eh? So the, yeah, yeah, okay, ready? <laughs> by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. One verse, so much in it. I mean, so much in it. And there's so many different directions we can go. So I will endeavor to uh, remain as attentive to the Holy Spirit as possible. Um, I, I do have notes. That would be appreciated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be, that'd be appreciated, right? Um, it, this, this, this is a subject where it's really easy to go down a rabbit trail you're not going to get out of for like a couple of years. Run to the ledge you now. Yeah. It wasn't a hundred year period, the time frame. It's, there, there's, a, there's a time frame, and so we can discuss that as a church and, and see, where, see where that time frame lands. So, by faith Noah being warned by God. Being warned by God. This being warned in Hebrews 11.7 is the Greek word krematizo. Krematizo. And the word is de derived from krema, which is not that nice little foam you get on the top of your coffee when you make it really well. Yeah, no. This means uh, an affair as in an enterprise or a business. The, the base word of this is an, a business, as in transacting business. Doing business. That's what that word means, crematizo, to transact business. So he got the warning memo. He got the warning memo. Noah's in business with God. God's in business with Noah. To give advice to inquirers is what this means. It's how it's used. So there is a, if memory serves, 
Um, in my experience with faith films, particularly regarding the patriarchs, and even regarding the calling of the apostles, uh, the chosen being a very nice, fresh um, example of not doing it this way. <laughs> but generally speaking, when it comes to these spiritual events, they are presented mystically. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because it's not people of faith actually producing the movies. It's just people who produce movies taking our money and then they shroud it in this faith thing. But generally speaking, it's like Abraham is out there and some voice he doesn't recognize slaps him upside the head and he's staring at the sky and all of a sudden, because he heard a voice he didn't know before, changes his life. Moses... Uh, the, the classic Charlton Heston film, you know. In the classic uh, Ten Commandments film, Moses doesn't know who he is, where he came from, um, winds up killing somebody for some arbitrary reason, and it's not until he's 80 when he runs into the bush that he finds out what's going on. What a bunch of foolishness. Right? Which is not the biblical record. The biblical record is these were men and women of faith in relationship to God, and God spoke with them. And they responded. It wasn't a lightning bolt out of the blue. Not that God can't do that. He certainly does. But in this Noah, by faith, by faith, he was warned of God. And this word in the Greek, warned, is to transact business, to give advice to inquirers. Can you think that one's crazy? Don't watch the movie Noah's. Oh, yeah, don't. Don't. The... the uh, uh, the Russell Crowe, the modern Noah film, which is supposed to be like an action adventure, you know, Noah's, you've never seen him before. Why? Because he never existed like that. You know, it was not in any form or fashion based on the biblical record. In, in the Noah film, from what I read, the Nephilim were actually good guys. Uh, and, and, um, and his father winds up being some sort of snake-driven mystic. So, you know, uh, throw Anthony Hopkins and Russell Crowe on a movie, and, and then people go, wow, no, has nothing to do with the Bible. It was based actually on a graphic novel, so that should tell you, okay? <laughs> to give advice to inquirers, a response to those consulting an oracle. This is how it shows up in classic Greek. That this warning or this is an advice given to those who are seeking uh, counsel from an oracle. It came to signify a divine admonition or instruction or warning. What I want you to see in this word is the two-way street. It, the scripture doesn't say God warned Noah and by faith he went and did what he did. The scripture front loads the faith and says by faith Noah being warned of God. Okay? Some of the uses of this word in the New Testament of God's warning. Joseph was warned in a dream, Matthew uh, 2.12 and verse 22 tells us. Joseph was warned in a dream. The Holy Spirit revealed, that's the word used in this verse in the, in the English Standard Version, revealed to Simeon that he would see Messiah before his death. That's Luke 2.26. Cornelius was directed by a holy angel to send for Peter. That's Acts 10.22. Moses was instructed by God to make the tabernacle according to the pattern. That's Hebrews 
So in the context of God speaking to people, we see this information coming through dreams, uh, through angels, through revelation of the Holy Spirit, and from God Himself directly. Okay? God speaks to the faithful. Remember this word is to transact business, to, to uh, give a response to someone who's inquiring. What do we call that when we're talking to God? Answer prayer. Prayer. <laughs> That's what we call it. Right? Well, Joseph was instructed while in contemplation of his circumstances. Matthew one twenty says, While Joseph pondered these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he was warned when he was walking in obedience. That first encounter came when he was pondering, and that second encounter came when Jesus was somewhere around two years old. Well, how, how was it that he was where he was? Because he'd been obedient to God. Because he married Mary. He didn't put her away in divorce. He was a man walking in obedience. This is why James says, faith without works is dead. If it's genuine faith, it, 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 it um, results in obedience. Faith without obedience is lip service. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. True faith always results in action. True faith always results in obedience. You see, God speaks to the faithful. Joseph was instructed while in contemplation and warned while he was in obedience, Matthew 2. Simeon, Luke tells us, was righteous and devout. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Lord's Messiah before death. Okay? He was righteous and devout. God speaks to the faithful. Cornelius was devout and prayed continually to God, Acts 10.11 tells us. It, see, Cornelius wasn't just um, some out-of-bounds centurion that God said, you know, this would be a good place to start with the Gentiles. I mean, he's like lording it over my people. You, Gabriel, go there and kick him. It didn't happen like that. This, is a, this was a Gentile man who was seeking God's righteousness. He was a Yahweh worshiper. He was devout. And the angel of the Lord showed up and said, Hey, I've basically given responsibility for this message to a particular group of people. Why don't you send for one of the representatives? You actually are part of that particular group of people who have the responsibility and right to tell people about the redemption of Jesus Christ. It's called the Ministry of Reconciliation. Moses, when he was warned by God to make it according to the pattern, Moses was, you know, remember when God showed up on Sinai? It, it says that Moses was terrified. The people were scared to death. All the trumpets and the, and the cloud and the fire and the whole <laughs> And so here God is in the cloud on top of the mountain and in fire. Uh, if, you're, if you read the description of Ezekiel 24, not Ezekiel, um, Exodus 24, Exodus 24 and somewhere around verse 18. Here we go here. Appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Okay? So when you're standing at the mountain, you're looking up, it's not like, you know, bright flashes of lightning or someone's got the light on. Okay? It was like it was burning down. It's a devouring fire. In, in verse uh, verse 18, um, Moses entered the cloud and went up to the mountain. 
Probably look like he's getting out. Yeah, I mean, there's there's good reason why the people down there after 40 days said, "Come on, come on, Aaron. You can see it as good as I can." He went in. I don't think he's coming out. But think of the guy who walked into it. I mean, the last fire of God he saw, aside from the pillar of fire and, you know, cloud by day, but I'm, I mean, you know, his last encounter, it was confined to a bush. So maybe there was faith there in the fact that the bush wasn't consumed. Matter of fact, if I were Moses, that's what I would be thinking. Okay, the bush didn't burn, the bush didn't burn, the bush didn't burn, the bush didn't burn. <laughs> Right? And he's going to a mountaintop. This is not like a five-minute ordeal. You've got to keep getting closer to a fire that's devouring a mountain to go talk to God Almighty. And God said, hey, make sure you build it like I tell you to. Yeah, I think so. Right? Point is, God speaks to the faithful. God speaks to the faithful. Noah, by faith, being warned by God. What does this tell you? That... Noah is in relationship with God. That Noah is asking God about what's going on. The days Noah grew up in weren't so nice. Faith seeks God and God responds. Faith seeks God and God responds. Right? Without faith it's impossible to please God. For those who come to Him must believe that He is. Not and you'll find Him. Yeah, seeking you shall find. That's right, knocking it open. Hebrews 11:7. By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God doesn't change. How you read about him relating to the saints in the Old Testament is how he relates. How Jesus related to his disciples while he walked on earth is how Jesus relates to you. He'll ask you about things you don't understand. He'll reveal things to you you can't wrap your head around. He will ask you to do things that you think are impossible. Okay, you 10, you 12, you 70. Yeah, go out there, raise people from the dead. I did it, you can do it. Go... Throw demons out. Hey, the demon wouldn't leave. Why? Well, because <laughs> you're learning. That's why. Okay? Concerning events as yet unseen. See, God speaks before the event. God speaks before the event. It is not beyond God to reveal to you what is happening. But his default setting is, is to tell you what is going to happen. Um, in, the, in the world of the clairvoyance, it's seeing the calamity without avoidance. In the occult, you see what's happening, or had happened. Um, and you see this, you see this in, in popular TV shows, um, if, you, if you do any, not that I'm suggesting you should, but if you do any kind of uh, study of the occult or clairvoyance, it's, it's all calamity that's happened or is occurring. Any visions about what's going to happen? Well, it's just a guess. How God differentiates himself is he tells you before it happens. 
because he is the one that has the power to make it happen. Pagan oracles and clairvoyant utterings from the dark kingdom are all about hopelessness and fate, unavoidable calamity. That's not what God talks about. <clears throat> it's not how God warned. There are reasons why God speaks before the event. He does it because it gives evidence that He is God. I've declared the end from the beginning. We should read this. Isaiah 46, verse 9. There is a popular conception, both inside the church and outside the church, that the future has already occurred. Any time travel story that you've read or heard is based on this idea that there is a place called the future that you can travel to. And that is both scientifically and scripturally completely incorrect. The future doesn't exist. The only part of the future that exists is the part that God inhabits in eternity. Events that unfold, unfold because God can make them unfold. Okay? Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Most conceptions of time that I've read from theologians has God outside of time being able to view past, present, and future all at once. And the problem with that concept is, is it just makes God an observer. He knows the future only because He can see it. But the reality of it is, is that the future is undetermined. If thou wilt, God says, then I will. There are all kinds of conditional clauses in the promises of God that make the future probabilistic, not fatalistic. Probabilities is, is entirely how quantum mechanics works. In the small affairs of, of the physical realm, it's all probabilities. When scientists ran out of mathematics to figure out how to look at quanta, atoms and, and the portions thereof, they had to go to some arcane mathematics from a group of insurance um, underwriters. The insurance underwriters used a particular type of math to determine how and when you might die. <laughs> Probabilistic mathematics. That's where they got it from. So if you wonder if your insurance rates are set right, they'll make money. The house always wins. Okay? Alright? It is not fate. It is not there. God as proof that He's dynamic and completely in control and interfaces with His creation, makes a declaration of things not seen, not known, and says, that's going to happen. And then He rolls up His sleeve and He gets involved in the mechanics and He makes it happen. Matter of fact, it's such a snuff in the devil's nose because he says, this is what I'm going to do. Try to stop me. And everything the devil does, God arranges to such a degree that it makes it look like all those things made it happen anyway. Uh, I, you know, as, as one of my favorite pieces of evidence is the state of Israel. Okay? Which, um, even a hundred years ago, you would, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who, who actually thought that, the, that prophecies regarding the actual reestablishment of the state of Israel were actual prophecies. They were all allegorized because it was like an impossibility. 
And then some madman, inhabited by principalities, destroys Europe and tries to murder all the Jews, which made Zionism possible. They've been at it for quite some time. But the Holocaust just about made Israel inevitable. And it worked so well that Calvinists would stand aside and say, well, God, God meant for all those Jews to burn. No. God meant for all those Jews to die. He's so good at making what the devil plans for evil for good that people blame God for the evil. No. No. It's proof that He's the Almighty. Amen? My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Verse 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. This is how it happens. It's not because he's just some um, outside of time observer and knows how it all plays out. No. It's because he calls it and he makes it play out. It's okay. Usually it's Eddie. You're good. <laughs> this is one of my... <laughs> my, my aunt. She's, my, she's 72. It's my, it's my aunt. <laughs> you guys have been trading notes. <laughs> I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Anyhow, he offers it as evidence that he is God. He does it to challenge those that are called gods. Well, go to your idol. Have him tell you the future. See if it happens. I don't think so. <laughs> he tells us so we believe in Him. He tells us the future so we believe in Him. Uh, I'm telling you this now. This is not Matthew 26, 20. I forgot to change the reference. This is actually John 13, 19. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place you may believe that I am He. He still does this because Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he told John what was going to happen before it did so that when it happened he would know that he was the Son of God, he tells you things before they happen so that when they happen you know that he is your Lord. Amen? Amen. He tells us before it happens so that when it does happen we remember where we heard it from. <laughs> now, it, it took me a while uh, to, to get a handle on this. And um, because words of the Lord have this immediate quality to them when you receive them. And without going into a long, drawn-out explanation, I, I began to understand, particularly when I was ministering to other people, that God would show me things that I needed to tell them, but that wasn't going to be contextualized for another 5, 10, 15 years of life. So then I got into the habit and I would say, remember this, because in X amount of time, it will make sense. The word will unthaw. God leaves a testimony of himself before the event. So, it does, so it's not this flash of lightning out of the blue. So you can't say, I did it. Right? So you can acknowledge His foreknowledge and love. See? 
He tells us before it happens because He loves us. He calls us friends, philos, loved ones. John 15, 15. God, speaking to His assemblage, says, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing I'm about to do? Am I going to hide it from Abraham? Genesis 18, 17. Who is Abraham? Abraham, my friend, Isaiah 41, 8 says. Uh, it's in other places as well. It's in Chronicles. It's in James. Abraham was the friend of God. God's not going to hide what He's going to do from His friends. God reveals to us the future because He loves us. He loves us. Isn't that good to know? That's <laughs> his motive for everything. Yeah, that's his motive for everything. Amen. By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen. Concerning events as yet unseen. Remember, Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 5 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Talk about a particular and peculiar people to believe in a Savior and Messiah who was crucified close to 2,000 years ago and raised from the grave. And we know Him. You've never seen Him. But you know Him. Amen? And you believe in Him. And it brings joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Jesus told Thomas, You've seen and you believe. Thomas put his hands in the marks and in the side. He said, you, you see and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You are blessed. You are blessed. I know, at least for me, I've had these times of envy where I've read the Gospels and thought, boy, if I could only have been there with Him in the blessing of seeing the loaves broken or you know, um, the blind sea or all those miracles. Well, they had their blessing. We have ours. We have a blessing that comes from not having seen yet believed. And the value of that faith, the value the Lord places on it. Value is determined by what someone's worth, willing to pay for it. Right? And your faith, and your faith is of the value that God paid for. The precious blood of His Son, Amen. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Your response is the preciousness. It is Christ in the gold of heaven. The precious blood of His only begotten Son. It's no small thing. It is no small thing. It is the foundation of your faith. 
You have put faith in a man you've never seen. You've gotten born again by a crucifixion you've never witnessed. Okay, after that, what? After that, what? What's, you know, after that, what? My rent, my car payment, my children's problems, my problems, health, finances. I believed a man I never saw was crucified in a way I've never witnessed was resurrected and taken and, and walked out of a tomb that now stands empty that I've never walked into. I believe that. It happened over a thousand years ago. Finances? <laughs> really? Interpersonal conflict? Honestly? <laughs> World politics? Nuclear war? I mean, come on. Events yet unseen. Let's put this in context. There was no rain on earth. Genesis chapter 2. And verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was growing, going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. Okay? So, the earth was watered with mist. Mist is condensation. Dew is condensation, but dew is condensation on objects. Mist is condensation in the air itself. And, and, and so a mist is a form of radiated fog. Fog. Um, there between fog and mist. Is fog is thicker. <laughs> a ground cloud. So, there's moisture in the ground. Well, there should be. God called dry ground to appear out of what? A watered wasteland. I imagine there's some water in the ground. Right? God said, let there be light. There's heat. And the earth heats up. This, the earth still does this. Right? And then as it cools down, and that radiates out in the atmosphere, water condenses. It becomes a mist. A mist goes with wind, waters the whole earth. This is how he watered the earth. There was another way he watered the earth. There was a river out of Eden, Genesis 2, verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon, and then it goes on. Um, the, the Havilon and, and Hedekal and, and the Euphrates. Okay? So, my, uh, my personal belief on terms of the source of this river is a spring. You know? Why? Well, because it hadn't rained and, and without rain and without um, cloud precipitation, it was kind of hard to get snow. Now, I imagine there could have been snow and snow melt, but this is coming out of Eden. And it's coming out of the ground. But, you know, you want it to be snow melt, it be snow melt. I just think it's a spring. <laughs> you know, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Anyhow, so he watered it with the rivers. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they still are. 
and they took as their wives any they chose. Didn't sound like the gals had much of a choice in it. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. When this began to occur, God expressed the judgment. This is not on the lifespan of man, because right. man's lifespan didn't get limited to 120 years at this stage. This is the lifespan of mankind. Right. I'm not going to let this go on beyond 120 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that is. Now, uh, the sons of God are the Benai Elohim. These are of the counsel of God. These are angelic beings cohabiting with men. I decided not to go all the way down this rabbit hole. We have resources in the church for that. If you want to study the, the Nephilim, there are plenty of resources online. But that's what's going on. What you, what you have is the actual um, genetic signature of mankind being interrupted by fallen angels and making a race of beings that are unredeemable. There is no salvation for angels. It's not... It, we're told in Scripture, it's not angels, God helps, saves, it's the sons of Abraham. Verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. These are the progeny. When the sons of God came to the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. You can look at Roman mythology, you can look at Assyrian mythology, you can look at Babylonian mythology, you can look at Pawnee creation myth, Native American Pawnee creation myth as recorded by um, Buffalo Bill. <laughs> and what you will find is this recording of this interaction, these quote-unquote demigods, these gigantic men who were prone to violence and evil. It is men of renown, men of old. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. As we discussed uh, earlier in our study of Hebrews, this is the first use of Scripture of the word heart, of lev. And the Lord was sorry that, it made, that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Our first lessons about the heart, they come to us in Scripture of man's wickedness and how it grieves God. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor, or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank God. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, remember? Or being warned of God. It was interaction. There's the key. Blameless, blameless in his generation. He wasn't corrupted. Yeah, blameless in his generation. His genes weren't corrupted. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Now what Eddie's talking about is this blameless in his generations. The word used there is tamim. And tamim... It's, it's used 91 times in the Old Testament. 57% of the time that it's used is in reference to sacrificial animal, animals. Of them being without blemish, 44 times. Uh, without spot, 6 times. 
uh, or perfect once, or whole once. So uh, the expression also refers to moral uprightness. And, and you have all this kind of uh, unpacked as, as this idea is further revealed in Scripture. But one of Noah's signifying traits was that he wasn't corrupted with this line of Nephilim. Nick, can you go back one slide? It's interesting that it says, you know, he's, because of what's happened, he's going to blot out man and animals and creeping things and birds as if they were all corrupt. As if they were all corrupt. So, rabbit holes will just tip around. Okay? Uh, there is a class of mythological creature called a chimera. And a chimera is a combination of forms, man and animal. We're used to this in mythology. Fawns. Fawns, which are half human, half goat. Um, Seder is is one of the words used, or goat demons are very prominent in Scripture in the Old Testament in particular. Mermaids and mermans. Dagon was a merman, half man, half fish. Uh, so the factor that it starts with angels who decide to cohabit with men and then God's subsequent judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and men who were involved in bestiality and were cohabiting with animals. Uh, anyhow, flash forward to modern day where scientists are combining animal DNA with human DNA to eradicate or treat particular diseases or transplanting animal organs, or animal flesh, into a man. This before a God who said, you don't take this kind of seed and plant it by this kind of seed. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, Noah had three sons. Look how this goes narratively. These three sons, it states that, that they entered Noah's life in his 500, you know, when he was 500 years old. We're not giving any indication that he had any more than one wife. So one of my holy hunches here is, is that Shem, Ham, and Japheth are triplets. From Shem, we get Semite. So if you talk about anti-Semitic, it comes from Shem. Shem, who is the progenitor of Eber, who became the Hebrews, who became the Israelites. But also of what we commonly refer to as Arabs. Okay? Ham... Uh, from, you know, you, you get Libyans, Egyptians, Africans. Japheth, from whom you get the northern tribes and the eastern tribes. Okay? So, all of this particular racial tension that continues to be exacerbated, particularly in the United States, or at least that's the one I'm most familiar with, um, genetically is idiotic because... Genetically, there's only one race, the human race. And if we all came off the boat and Shem, Ham, and Japheth are triplets, draw your own conclusion. <laughs> there is scriptural evidence that they had different skin tones, okay? I don't know if I shared this or not, but um, I was uh, 
this is several months ago, we were working at Ferguson. I did share this. Anyhow, we were working at Ferguson, and there was a carpenter working there, and um, he was a black man, but he had a freckled face and had red tinge to his hair. Um, but the way he walked, and when I, I met him and introduced him, the first time I got in the elevator with him, I was like, my lands, this guy reminds me of my brother Eric. My brother Eric, who we called Red. And we're walking out of the elevator, and I said, my name's Nicholas, what's your name? Red. 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 You know, um, I'm sorry, son, what? He was a metal worker. Okay, he was a metal worker. Anyhow, suffice it to say that this black man reminded me of my brother, who was a spotted human. And Eric was not a black man, though he had an afro. Um, okay? And the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Um, let me get back to these animal things. I, did, I just kind of traipsed by a, a, a rabbit hole I decided not to go far into. Here's a logistical, absolute reality. If you're going to flood the earth, you're going to kill the animals. And there's always collateral damage to sin. There just is. None of us ever sins in isolation, and our sin impacts the world around us. And consequent to man's corruption, because God had to scrub the earth clean, the animals had to pay the consequence. Well, paying the consequence for man's sin was one of the reasons God created animals in the first place. How about that? God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which it is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. That's Genesis 6, 12 through 13 and verse 17. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So, let's look at Noah's timeline for a minute. Noah was born in the 1056th year from Adam. You get this from how old Adam was when Seth was born, how old Seth was when you just follow the generations down, you add up the numbers. 1056 years is when Noah was born. His children were born when he was 500 years old. And the flood came when he was 600 years old. Okay? Noah lived for half a millennia without seeing rain and worked on an ark for a hundred years in preparation for a catastrophe the source of which no one living or dead had ever seen. Had ever seen. And if it seems amazing to you that a man would work for a hundred years in a world that for a thousand six hundred years had never seen rain, you expressed faith in a man who was resurrected somewhere around 1,990 some odd years ago. A man you've never seen, you expressed faith in. Praise God. Mm -hmm. And another thing, that 100 years he was working, everybody was making fun of him. He was a preacher of righteousness. Um, what is that, Second Peter 2.5? 
We're not told directly. This is something you just got to derive. Um, but narratively, God's warning of Noah comes when Noah has his sons. And, God, and, and Noah gets busy building the ark. So he's 500 when the word comes. He's 600 when the flood comes. So for 100 years, he's making this boat. Second Peter 2, verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. That word hell is Tartarus. So uh, Tartarus is not Hades. Tartarus is not Sheol. Tartarus is not Gehenna. Tartarus is Tartarus. And Tartarus is expressed um, as being as far below Hades as earth is below heaven. Okay? Uh, in Greek mythology, it's the place of incarceration of the Titans, who were giant uh, human uh, god hybrids that went against Kronos and got bound in Tartarus. Right? These are the spirits in prison that Jesus witnessed to by the Spirit and said, what you tried to stop is here. See you in a bit when I burn you. Okay. God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, a herald of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness, the hundred years we get from that 500 marker and that 600 marker when the rains came. For a hundred years, Noah preached righteousness to an unrighteous world and prepared for an event that no one had ever seen because faith sees the invisible and believes the impossible. Faith sees the invisible and believes the impossible. There's, there's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot more that's not written, but Noah had to build an ark that was a gigantic ark, and he had to do it a certain way, and so God was instructing him as he went along. It wasn't like he wasn't hearing from God only that first time. Mm -hmm. He was hearing from how to do this, where to get the wood, where to do this. It, there's a lot of logistics involved in building a great big ark where nobody else knows how to do it. A huge amount. Um, I'll give you the displacement just for relative terms. The Titanic <clears throat> had a displacement of about 45,000 tons. The estimated displacement of the ark was 65,000 tons. Wow. So, it'd be poked. Okay. Hebrews 11.7 By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world. By this he condemned the world. Preaching righteousness condemns the world. We don't have to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. Yeah. Not believing leaves them in condemnation. You say, I don't condemn you. Moses condemns you. I'm here to preach salvation to you, repentance to you. I've taught it before, but you know, I said there's always collateral damage to sin. 
There's collateral damage. There's collateral damage involved in spiritual warfare. When, when God pulled Jesus out of Bethlehem, a whole bunch of babies still died. When an angel pulled Peter out of the prison, 16 men got executed. God didn't, you know, Peter didn't say, well, no, I can't leave. I'm worried about the 16 guards. The key is, you've got to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit's saying. This is not injustice on God's part. You know, they had a testimony for 100 years. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. For by this, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. The, the world, the planet, after the flood, was an entirely different world. Animals that did not know the fear of man, now knew the fear of man. Man that could survive on, on plants, now had to consume meat. Animals that used to eat straw now became carnivores. There was a not necessarily a difference in the genetics per se as in the genetic expression. You know, a carnivore's teeth and a carnivore's intestines are entirely different than that of an herbivore. A time's coming, well, when a lion will eat straw like the ox. But that time's not now. It's coming. But Noah's faith believed God. Noah's faith kept him with God. I remember hearing an example like that that's actually alive today. Uh, a fish that lives on another continent that is absolutely identical to a piranha, but does not eat anything except vegetable matter. It's like, it's, it's a, you would think it would behave like the piranhas right. of Brazil. But, but environmental triggers yep. be different. Yep. Yeah. Somehow it's getting the minerals it needs out of the water or certain plants or something that grows in that area and it doesn't behave in a chrono-like fashion even though it's genetically identical. It's the same. That's the other thing is, see, genes, genes aren't fake. That's another pseudoscientific law that or lie that they try to foist on us is that well, you're just a bag of meat and responding to the genetic impulses of, of your programming. You have no free will. And, and there's a whole sector of theologians that would agree that you have no free will, but I'm not one of them. And, uh, <laughs> but genes aren't fatalistic either. They're responsive. They're responsive. Uh, their expression's responsive. Noah responded to God. Noah was in conversation with God. God warned Noah, transacted business with Noah. They did kingdom business together. And in that kingdom business, he prepared an ark to save humankind. And one of the first things he did when he came off that ark is he sacrificed clean animals. And then God gave his sign, the rainbow, that he wouldn't drown the world again. Next time it's by fire, folks. And just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not coming. <laughs> Amen? Right.